0: as a little girl, Amy Carmichael always wanted to have blue eyes, just like her mom. And her mother had taught her to bring all things to God in prayer. So at night, little Amy would pray that God would change her deep brown eyes to a bright blue. She would wake up in the morning and race to the mirror with anticipation and excitement just to see that her eyes were still brown. Through through this, she began to understand even as a child that sometimes God answers our prayers by saying no, even when we don't know why. Well, many years later as a young woman, Amy went to India where she began doing missionary work. While she was there, she encountered the horrific practice where some parents were giving their children to priests at pagan temples in hopes of appeasing the gods. As a result, Many of these temple children were being mistreated in many ways. Amy set out to rescue and care for as she could. Sometimes that meant disguising herself so that she could go in and around the temple areas unnoticed. We well, see it was during that time that she realized if she had been born with blue eyes, that would have very easily have given her away as a foreigner and made it much more difficult for her to do this work. Despite her desperate prayers as a child, God had a purpose for giving Amy Carmichael brown eyes. Amy's prayer for different color eyes might seem trivial, but it is a reminder of what we often do as people, even as Christians in this life. Many times we look around and we wonder why God has allowed us to be born into our situation or born with a particular medical condition or we look around and we simply wonder why we are in these circumstances that we are facing today. So we pray and we ask God to change things. We cry out for deliverance or for answers and many times we are met with what seems to be his silence. It's one thing when that silence is about the color of your eyes But it's another thing when it's about the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional hurts that we are facing. Yet, as Christians, we believe that God always has a purpose in our circumstances. That means that God has a purpose even in our pain. As we turn together to John chapter 9 verse 1 this morning, we will see the story of an individual born into a situation that probably caused him to ask many times in his life, why God? Why? So I'd encourage you to turn there with me this morning, John chapter 9. And this unbeliever's story, his journey to saving faith, I pray, will encourage all of us as believers in our current journey of faith. John Chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, As he went along, that's Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And we need to stop right here. Before we can get to the rest of his story, we need to talk about this. The disciples ask a question that may sound strange. We don't often think of medical conditions at birth being a result of sin. Although in one sense it's true, because all brokenness, all illnesses, all difficulties and hurts are a result of the fact that we live in a fallen and broken world because of sin. You see, God did not create a broken world. No, when God created the world, it was good. Go look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2 for more on that. Now, as when mankind chose sin that things went downhill. Now, physical, spiritual, emotional hurts surround us. So, in one sense, it was true that ultimately sin resulted in... But that's not what the disciples were asking Jesus. The widespread mindset during their day was that physical maladies at birth were a direct punishment for the sins of one's ancestors, like their parents. And some rabbis at the time believed that children could somehow sin in the womb. In other words, they wanted to know if this man or his parents were personally responsible for this. What did they do to merit this punishment from God? This, I believe, is where we find the similarity to what many of us think today as believers. Whether it's a physical difficulty we were born with or a trial that comes in life where we experience some great loss or we receive that, that terrible news about that illness or, or where things start to fall apart, that's where many of us begin to say, where's God? We think to ourselves, well, what's, what's he punishing me? And then we start to reason in our minds. We think, well, have I done something wrong? Because if I haven't done something wrong, then this difficulty in my life is wrong. We start to think that it's unjust, that it's unfair. So let's try and clear a few things up for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. First, believers, when we go through difficulties, it is good to examine our lives for wrongdoing and for unconfessed sin. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that God disciplines his children when we sin. In fact, if you sin and do not fall under the Lord's corrective discipline, according to Hebrews 12, that's a sign that you're not God's child at all. When you are going through a difficulty, it is wise to examine your life for sin, to repent of any unconfessed sin, and rest in the Lord's forgiveness. Then you won't be confused by his discipline, but instead we will learn from it. But then there are times when it is confusing. Because we examine our lives, we know that there's no unconfessed sin, but that difficulty is still there. The story of Job in the Old Testament comes to mind. Job is a man described by God as blameless and upright. Still, God allowed Job to go through deep hardships. Hardships that weren't a result of personal sin in Job's life. In the end of his story, Job was blessed to hear the very voice of God. Yet despite all Job's questions and wondering, all the whys that he had, God never answered the question for him as to why he faced those hardships. Or I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians about a physical ailment in his life that he described as a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Paul said that he prayed three times for God to take it away, and God said no. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's the thing, believers. We are going to go through difficulties, pain, and hardship in life. Sometimes these are a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Sometimes they are disciplined for our own sin. Sometimes they are because we are facing spiritual warfare or persecution for our faith. Then there are times when we go through difficulties and God doesn't give us the reason why. Or we ask Him to take it away and He says, no. We may not see the purpose in that moment or ever, but we can rest assured that He has a purpose. And you see, this blind man's story is going to show us one of the purposes God has in the pain that we face, in the troubles and trials. Look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. Jesus told his disciples, he said, "Sin." This isn't about finding someone to blame. And he said, this is about God working in his life. We don't always see difficulties in our life that way, do we? Is God working in our life? We often see difficulties as God working against us. Maybe this blind man felt that way too. Who knows how many days he was angry at or questioning God. But you see, on this day, things were different as he came face to face with the Son of God. And Jesus performed this miracle in an unusual way, didn't he? Many different explanations have been given for it, but I think one thing is clear. This would have tested the blind man's faith to be healed. Because I don't know about you, but I will be honest with you. If someone that I don't know made mud out of his own spit, put it on my eyes, and then told me where to go to wash it off, I would not be happy about that. But this man, he obeyed, and he was miraculously healed as a result. So think about his story for a second. Just think about it. Here was a man who went through years of physical difficulty that few people will ever understand. And as a result, he was able to experience the power of God in his life in a way that few people will ever understand. God's miraculous work was now displayed in his life, but it wasn't so that he could keep it a secret. It wasn't for him to keep to himself. So let's see what happened next. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. He was so well-known as the blind beggar that even those who looked and saw him walking around with sight said, that that can't be him. No, that's got to be somebody different. That's got to be a look-alike. He had to insist on who he was, and then afterwards, he tells him that some guy named Jesus healed him. And this man didn't even know who Jesus was, what his deal was, just that Jesus did this thing with spit and mud and healed him. That's kind of a strange story, isn't it? But it was his story. And he was going to share it, not just with the neighbors, not just with the ones who recognized him. Let's see who else he would share it with. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Is your eyes he opened? The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We have several responses in this section to the miracle. After the response of the neighbors, those who recognized him. First here we have the Pharisees who aren't really sure how to take all this at the beginning. And some of them are upset that Jesus broke more of their man-made traditions about the Sabbath. And then there are others who realize that a sinner couldn't perform such God-ordained miracles. Second, we have the man's parents who are so scared of retaliation if they were to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah that the only thing they were willing to say was, Yeah, he's our son, and we know he was born blind. So as a side note to everything this morning, believers, please rest assured that if Jesus does not return for his church soon, I believe that there will certainly be days where we too will face retaliation for acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah and the Son of God. But let's never shy away from doing that. Believers have long endured persecution for this, but let us never fear the retaliation of man. Finally, we have the formerly blind man's response. Keep in mind, he was an unbeliever at this point in his life. He's not a follower of Jesus Christ. So he told his neighbors that it was some guy named Jesus who healed him. Then in the first round of questioning with the Pharisees, he said, this Jesus guy must be more, he must be a prophet Then when he stood before them the second time, the leaders tell the formerly blind man to give God glory and recognize Jesus as a sinner. And you know what? That man did give God glory by recognizing that Jesus is no sinner, that he is clearly sent from God what a whirlwind this had been for this man. This man went from these bleak circumstances in his blindness to a life-changing encounter with Jesus, to having parents too embarrassed to share his story, to being ridiculed and cast out by the religious leaders. No doubt those leaders would be his enemy for a very long time. Quite a roller coaster for him, wasn't it? I mean, it almost doesn't make sense, right? It almost doesn't make sense that God would bring about such a great good in his life just for him to be ridiculed, rejected by others. Don't we face circumstances like that in life? Circumstances where things are so up and down, where we feel like they go from bad to good and back again? But we need to remember that God always has a purpose. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Far greater than this man's physical eyes being opened were when his spiritual eyes were opened. When he realized that Jesus is not just some man or just a prophet, or just someone great sent by God, but that Jesus is the Messiah and the Lord. And I love, I love how he responds to Jesus saying, tell me, tell me so that I can believe. In other words, he was saying to Jesus, I don't know. I don't know who he is. I'm lost. Point me to the truth. And that, that was the difference between that man and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they didn't think they needed anyone to guide them to the truth. That's why they rejected Jesus. They thought they could see all things clearly. And because of that, they were stuck in their own spiritual blindness. Here, this formerly blind man was willing to recognize he needed help to see spiritually. And when he was pointed to Jesus, he fell at his feet and worshipped him. So let's try and bring it all back together for ourselves this morning. What was the purpose behind this man's blindness? What was the reason for this difficulty he faced so long in his life? It was so that God's work could be displayed in his life. This man was blind for years. It's a well-known fact. So well-known that when he was healed, it was an undeniable miracle. And because of that, God was glorified. God was glorified. God was glorified when the people witnessed the incredible results of the miracle. He was glorified when this man testified to others about what Jesus had done. And he was glorified when this man finally came to saving faith and fell at the feet of the Lord and worshipped him. In all these things, God was glorified. And believers, regardless of the reason for our difficult circumstances and our heart fact, that even in our pain, God is opening up a door for his glory to be displayed in our life. So that the spiritually blind that surround us could see his majesty. So that we could be a witness to the greatness of God. That's the truth this morning about God's purpose in our pain. The truth is that even in our moments of deepest pain, God's glory can shine through our lives. Even in our moments of deepest pain, God's glory can shine through our lives. When we face difficulties, trials, and pain in this life, whether they are things that have happened to us since birth or things that seem to come upon us suddenly, we have the choice to either stay angry at God and doubt Him or to trust Him and let His glory be We can let our dependency on him be a testimony to others, and we can glorify him by sharing our story with others of what he has done in our lives. God can use even our pain for his greater purposes, and many times one of those purposes is so that his glory could be displayed in our lives. But, believers, are we going to let Jesus be glorified in the current circumstances? And things were going well in the ministry of Amy Carmichael in India. For a number of years, things things were going well. When one night, Amy was outside walking and she fell into a pit. She broke her leg, she dislocated her ankle. As a result of these things, it brought deeper problems like back and spine issues, eventually leading to difficulty using one arm. And because of all her injuries, Amy spent the remaining 20 years of her life as an invalid, largely confined to her room. It almost doesn't make sense. Here's someone doing the work of the Lord, and then this sudden and lasting hardship struck. But you want to know something about those final 20 years of Amy Carmichael's life? Those final 20 years, she continued to lead people, to minister to people. She wrote and published books that went on to inspire future missionaries. In other words, she still found ways to bring God glory as she steadfastly lived for Him through the midst of her difficulties. And believers, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, not just through Amy's story, but through the blind man's story, that we would be encouraged to bring God glory no matter what circumstance we are facing. But if you are here If you are joining us here on campus, online, listening on the radio, and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please hear me when I say this. Do to Jesus for a perfect life. Do not come to Jesus for an easy life. If you have been told that coming to Jesus means that you will be healthy and wealthy and things will be rosy, you were lied to. That is not what Jesus said. He said, following him will be difficult. Don't come to Jesus for an easy life. That is not guaranteed. Come to Jesus for eternal life because that is guaranteed. Come to Jesus in faith because we are all broken sinners and we cannot make ourselves right with God. So Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross to take the punishment and the wrath that you and I deserve for sin. After he was buried, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead three days later and ascended to heaven where he waits right now to give you that eternal life, that forgiveness that we also desperately need. If only you will come to him in faith. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, if you have never made that decision, please know that this decision, this decision will determine your eternity. Don't come to Jesus for an easy life. Come to Jesus for eternal life. The moment you put your faith in him, he will forgive you. He will give you salvation and he will walk with you through every moment of this life, even very painful ones. Would you pray with me? Friend, if you're joining us and you have never made that decision, please know you can do it right now. You do it right now. Even if you're not here, you don't have to come to church to make this decision. Wherever you are, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can cry out to him, in prayer, through faith. You can tell Him that you know you're a sinner, but that you believe He died for you. You believe He didn't stay in the grave, but He rose from the dead. And you can give Him your life. And if you will come to Him in faith, He will save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone joining us who has never made that decision, that today would be the day that they put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that if there is anyone who is still confused, who has questions, that they would come and talk with me during this final invitation song. Or that they would find me, or find Richard, or find someone they trust after this service. Because they don't need to go through life separated from you anymore. Father, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, please help us in those moments of difficulty and pain where we are so tempted to doubt You, to stay angry at You. Help us in those confusing moments where we just don't know why You are allowing these difficulties. Instead, help us to pray about how those difficulties could bring You glory. How through them we could point others to You. I pray for my fellow believers who are going through many difficulties. I pray that you would bring them peace, wisdom, healing where it's needed. I pray that your spirit would wrap his loving arms around them. And Father, help us to walk alongside one another as believers in this life, to bear each other's burdens as we walk hand in hand with you. Father, we love you. As always, we thank you for loving us so much more.